Well, we are on a journey as a church, and I know we've got some guests with us um, and some that haven't been with us for a while, but uh, we are on a journey going through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we are studying, and we have been studying, Nehemiah's great challenge. Uh, He had heard from God, sought God's heart, God's dream, God's vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We see that in chapter 1. And we saw through chapter 2 and 3 some incredible favor that Nehemiah experienced. He experienced favor with God, first of all, because he he was a man after God's own heart. But then he also experienced favor with those around him, with the king, with the troops that went to support him, with the builders of the wall, with the letters that were sent, and uh, all kinds of favor. And things are going well, and we've gone through chapter 4 and, and saw how uh, there was some opposition uh, at, at some times. But things were go- Nehemiah was on his way, doing a good job, following the heart of God, in God's perfect will, so to speak. But it was not an easy journey. How many wish that if you were following God and you had it just you were nailing it right on? How many wish that if that was the case, that life would be just easy? Wouldn't that be awesome? If you knew that, hey, I'm following God, I've I've got my eyes on Jesus, and things just went really smooth, that would be really wonderful. But that's not the case, and it certainly wasn't Nehemiah's experience. He had opposition from the outside, Sambalot and Tobiah, the men of Ashdod. They were attacking, they were ridiculing in chapter 4. In chapter 5, we saw opposition not from the outside, but this time from the inside, from within the troops. They were out of alignment. The people were out of alignment, the unity. Because of stress, they were tired. They were questioning God's direction. And we talked about how inside opposition can be even more severe at times than outside opposition. But the result was that if we weren't careful, and Nehemiah knew this, that the vision could be derailed, the vision could be lost. And so Nehemiah stood up and he said, no, we're going to address this. Nehemiah stood strong, he prayed, he sought after wisdom, and he was full of courage. And the reason he was doing that is because God's dream for Nehemiah, it was worth fighting for. In church, for each of us, the dream that God has given to us, it is worth fighting for. We've asked to kind of make it personal each week, saying, okay, what has God put in your heart? What kind of dreams, what kind of vision, what kind of plan has God placed on your heart? And for students, maybe that if you're in school, maybe it's the grades or the club that you want to be a part of, or friends. At home, the dream could certainly relate to raising our kids or having a strong family, uh, strong marriages. In relationships, maybe the dream is about the standards that we set as we date or as we pursue a mate. How far is too far? Uh, Or uh, what kind of things am I looking for in a potential mate? Our dream could relate to standards that we try to say, okay, my dream or my vision for my life is to follow God's law and what God's law says. And if that's the case, we deal with our habits and our language maybe, or sometimes our joking, just all kinds of things, the dream. We can make it personal. 
with our finances, whether it's to live debt-free, or maybe the dream is to, to acquire wealth to be able to give back to the kingdom. And certainly, our dream, our vision for our lives, there's, there needs to be that spiritual component saying, man, how can I grow spiritually? How can, I, uh, how can I mature? How can I be stronger today than I was last week? Whatever our dreams are, maybe uh, whatever they might be, we must be willing to fight, to stay focused. You say, well, why do we need to stay focused? Because just like Nehemiah, we, each of us, we will face opposition. I want you to turn with me to uh, chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah here in chapter 6, we're going to see he faces three more distractions on his way to accomplishing his goal. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down, and uh, you'll know when we're at the end of the message because we'll get to the third one. But uh, the first one, the first distraction, it was opportunities. The second one is criticism, and it comes in the form of rumors or innuendos. And then the third one is fear or intimidation. Opportunities, criticism, and fear. We're going to see that Nehemiah faced all three of those in chapter 6. Now, Nehemiah shows great leadership. He stays focused, full of faith, and Nehemiah knows how to get the job done. And uh, this morning, as we go through this and we talk about the distractions that Nehemiah faces, I was thinking about my own life, my own personality. And, uh, and I don't know if you're like me, but I am easily distracted. Uh, things, it doesn't take much to throw me off. In fact, when I study in my office, I have to sit with my back kind of towards the window. I used to try to watch, you know, sit at the table and there are the windows right here. And I would just end up watching birds go by and squirrels. And uh, now that the weather's nice, I'd be, you know, caught up. It's bad enough. I listen for every motorcycle that goes by and I kind of peek, you know. But that's me. I'm easily distracted and I know for some of you, you're thinking, Pastor, we didn't think you had any faults. And uh, I'll just say, uh, if you really knew me, uh, I've got more than I'd like to share this morning. But one of those is I, I am easily distracted. I can get off track easy. In fact, if you go to a restaurant with me where there are uh, TVs, I better be facing away from the TV. Isn't that true, Jessica? Otherwise, I might be kind of looking over you, watching for the score or seeing what's on TV. And uh, I am seriously a, a distracted person. Look, there's a bird. No, just kidding. No. But when it comes to opportunities in our lives, and for me personally, the potential to distract for me off of God's main thing for my life, I can get caught up in entertainment, certainly athletics, financial things. I was sharing yesterday at the uh, men's breakfast uh, a little bit about that, relational opportunities. And for me, usually good things have the best potential to distract me. Different meetings, counseling, speaking opportunities, community events around, the, around town. In fact, Jessica and I have often said if we wanted, every single night could be full of activity outside. 
We could be busy. Uh, uh, Tony Tidswell, uh, he's not here this morning. He's working, doing taxes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, uh, he says a lot of times during tax season, he's a CPA, for the, those of you that don't know, he says, everybody wants a piece of me. That's what, you've probably heard him say that. And he says, by the end of tax season, he is just spent. And uh, as a pastor, sometimes that's the case. Everybody wants a little bit. And for me, the real struggle is saying no, having correct boundaries for my family or for my life. And, and so I can fill my calendar with good things, right? And miss out on what's best for me or for my family. So opportunities is a big distraction. When it comes to criticism, most pastors would say that their lives are constantly being uh, uh, looked at. They often say pastors live in a fishbowl where you can kind of see in from all different angles. People watching the family, watching how you raise your kids, watching your marriage, watching your home, your cars. And, uh, and certainly uh, there is some truth to that. But criticism is a big part of being a pastor. Rumors, false accusations, these can be distracting for, uh, for any of us. And then the third that we're going to look at is fear that Nehemiah faced and fear, intimidation. And fear becomes a distraction when we don't move forward in faith. It's interesting, you know, I'm 32 years old and, uh, and being a young pastor, I struggle many times with fear just because of my age saying, man, can I do this? Can I lead? Can I, can I continue to move forward? And my, maybe a lack of expertise in an area will cause fear. And certainly in a church, leading a church, there's the fear of the unknown. And you may relate with that in your family. And, but for me, life is full of these distractions that can keep me from God's best. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to be focused. Regardless of the nature of the dream or the vision that you have for your life, whether it's for family or fitness or, or your business, you fill in the blank. If we are not careful, we all can get distracted easily. How many would agree that the daily grind is hard on vision? If you are on, on a goal and you've got a, a, your mind made up, the daily ground, grind is tough. Life is now. Bills are now. Crisis is now. And what happens is the vision or the dream that God has put in our heart gets put aside for the now. All of us can lose sight of the main thing, sacrificing the best for the sake of the good. Important things are sacrificed for the urgent things. What could be is lost for what is. What should be gets lost and buried under what must be. Does that relate to any of you? When it comes to opportunities for us, the opportunities are endless, aren't they? Business opportunities, school opportunities, vacation opportunities, especially in this culture because no one's going on vacation, so there's lots of opportunity. But career, investment opportunities, uh, relational opportunities, in entertainment, athletics, all right, how many guys uh, can get, uh, get caught up with the opportunity to watch the, uh, the, the road to the Final Four, okay? Let's be honest. Sports, TV, financial opportunities. 
Opportunities are easily justified. Many times, even like Nehemiah, the, the opportunity that we'll see here in a second that he was faced with was, at, at least on the surface, seemed good. We will see, though, how, uh, how appointments and hobbies and relationships and invitations that, if taken advantage of, can kill our chances of accomplishing the dream that God has put before us. Criticism is a big thing for each of us. As we focus on our dreams or God's plan, there will always be critics. That's not fun news. It's not easy to say. But there will be accusations and rumors along the way that have the potential to distract us. The fact is, is as we are focused and as we become more like Nehemiah and we, we will stand out, as we start to say no to some of the opportunities, we will be different. Our pursuit for excellence oftentimes makes people uncomfortable. People will ask questions. Isn't whatever you're doing good enough? Why do you keep on pushing? Or why do you keep, keep on going? Or why don't you go? Or why do you go? Criticism is a part of our lives that we all have to face. And then there's this fear. We cannot afford to let the fear of the unknown cause us to miss out on what God wants for our lives. Fear can be a distraction. We cannot allow fear to rob us of the plan that God has for our marriages, for our finances, for relationships, our careers, or our ministry. We cannot allow the fear of the unknown to distract us. It can distract us from what could be or what should be. And life can become full of what ifs. What if no one else comes along? He'll have to do if you're in a dating situation. I need to say no, but what if I lose my friend? Or what if I lose the raise? Or what if I don't get the promotion? How about this? I know God is calling me, but what if I fail? What if I step out and, and it just is a disaster? Or maybe you need to raise some money, but you say, what if I can't find the right investor? And fear can slip into our lives and it will mess with our dream. We know God is called. We know God is moving, but fear cripples us. I read this week, our dreams will always have elements of the unknown especially in the early stages. Isn't that true? Where at the early stages, there's more questions than there are answers. And the fact for each of us is that we can face those fears. God wants us to be at the top of our game. He wants us to be the best. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, His plans are for us to what? Prosper, to have a hope, to have a future. So like Nehemiah, we must recognize the distractions that are in our lives and learn how to overcome to accomplish the impossible. All right, so we're, I've had you turn to Nehemiah 6, and it took me some time to get there. But let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6. What we have here in chapter 5, last week when we talked about this, Nehemiah just finished dealing with the turmoil within the camp. There was, in, there was a unity problem. The rich were uh, uh, taking advantage of the poor. Nehemiah steps up. They're back on track. The work with a new plan. 
A few days later, the team is finishing up the majority of the project. In fact, we'll read here in just a second that the last thing that needed to be done was the, uh, to put in the gates or the doors. So just as things are looking up for Nehemiah, the completion of the project is right around the corner. Then Nehemiah's enemies start to stir up trouble once again. Isn't that the way it, it seems to be? The enemies are amazed that Nehemiah has got this far in such a short amount of time. And they're angry. They do not want Nehemiah to succeed. And in the past, in the first of chapter 4 and chapter 5, the distractions or the opposition first was aimed at the Jews, aimed at the people, uh, the builders. But then the second was the internal problem, the rich and the poor. And so Sambalot here is uh, trying to lead a military threat, but it is not working. They couldn't distract the workers. And so Sambalot and his team, the enemy, they decide, look, if we could only get to Nehemiah, this is important, if we can get to the leader, then we can stop the progress of the entire project. And that's where we'll start here in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, When the word came to Sambalot, Tobiah, Jeshem, and the Arab, and, and the rest of the enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent me this message. So with all that history, now they're sending Nehemiah this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, Nehemiah says. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four different times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. The opportunity here for Nehemiah was to go and to meet with the enemy, to try to create some peace, to try, try to uh, resolve some of the issues that had happened. It was a reasonable offer, wouldn't you say? And on the surface, it was maybe even attractive to Nehemiah, saying, okay, well, they finally see we're completing the wall. We're almost there. Let's go meet and let's start to work some things out. So what was wrong with the meeting? Why four times did Nehemiah say no? Well, first of all, the job was not complete. Until the gates were set, the job was in jeopardy. How many would agree? The job was not complete until those gates were in place. When I was in, uh, in college, uh, one of the dangers, I had some friends that walked the line in graduation with me. But my friends, a couple of them, had classes that they still needed to complete to actually get their diploma. And what we told them and, and what was uh, the encouragement was, man, once you walk that line, it is going to be tough to take those summer courses and finish to actually get the diploma. You've already, you're that close, but man, to, to follow through in those last days, especially if there's things on the horizon, job opportunities and things like that. 
And Nehemiah is saying, look, I am going to be single-minded focused. And that's a great leadership trait for us. Nehemiah knew how to say no. And you know, as I thought about that this week, why is it so hard sometimes for us to say no, especially when we know that we should have good boundaries around us? How many would agree that maybe it's our own insecurities or maybe an unbalanced desire to please others? And you just, it's like, well, they asked, okay, I want to I please them. Or maybe you break down and you give in. Four times Nehemiah was approached. He could have said, all right, I'll go. But Nehemiah's response was incredible. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I want to do something this morning. And, uh, and we, I don't normally do this, but as I was writing and, and, and just inside my spirit, there's something about saying those words out loud that there is power in those. And so I'm going to say a phrase and I want you to repeat it with authority, okay? All right, say it after me. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now this time we're going to say it, and I want to put an emphasis on great. Thinking about the dream, thinking about the vision that God has called you. And I know there's some students here and you're saying, man, how does this relate? Well, you can think about school or think about uh, a job or think about friendships. Think about your future, okay? Let's say it again. I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Nehemiah knew he was pursuing God's heart, God's dream, God's plan. It was absolutely important for Nehemiah. He was doing a great work. He did not have time for a meeting. In fact, as I researched it, I was like, how far is, oh no, it would have taken a day's journey there, a day to meet, and then a day back. He's saying, look, I cannot afford three days off the job. He did not allow the possible good opportunity to distract from the work. He was focused. He was relentless about the thing God had called him to do. It's powerful. Think about that in your leadership context. But interesting enough, you say, well, well, okay, he was focused on all this. God was giving him wisdom as well. Most scholars, as I read and went through this material, said that if Nehemiah would have accepted Sambalot's invitation, that his enemies would have trapped him and would have killed him. It was a booby trap to, to take his life. And again, like I said earlier, there are some appointments, some hobbies, relationships, some invitations. If we take advantage of them, they will as well kill our dream. It will keep us from accomplishing the impossible things that God has put in our hearts. Opportunities were big for Nehemiah. Four different times he turned down the opportunities. Let's look at the second distraction, criticism, the critics. Nehemiah chapter 6, we'll start in verse number 5. It says, Then a fifth time Sambalot sent his aid to me with the same message And in his hand was an unsealed letter. Now just take a moment here for a second, and you say, well, why in the world would it say that it was sent in an unsealed letter? 
Well, as I looked at this, it was re- typically a letter would have been rolled up, tied, and then sealed with clay, knowing that no one had seen what was in until it was delivered, and then you know that you're the original person. The fact that it says it was an unsealed letter was a sign of disrespect, open criticism against Nehemiah, suggesting that the information in the letter that Nehemiah was about to read was public knowledge, that everyone knew what was in the letter. The goal here was to intimidate, to spread rumor that Nehemiah was trying to establish himself as the king of Judah. And we know, and we'll see here, that that was totally False. It was a false accusation. But let's look at the accusation. Verse 6. It says, which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, It is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have been appointed prophets or have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, Artaxerxes. So come, let us confer together. This is tricky. In an unsealed letter, his enemy is accusing him, is criticizing him, with lies, false accusations. Now what's interesting is as we look at that is Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah's response in verse 8, immediately. He says, I sent them this reply. He doesn't sidestep it. He doesn't avoid the situation, which we talked about would be my tendency just to avoid it, saying, oh, I hope no one saw that. He sends them this reply. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. (laughs) I love that. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. Then it says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah is smart. He sends back a response immediately, which is really the only way to handle a rumor, is to handle it, to get it out in the open, say, look, this is not true. Nehemiah also prays. If uh, Artaxerxes could have uh, believed what Sambalot said, Nehemiah's life would have been in danger because that was not the plan. It was the plan for him to go to rebuild the walls, not to become the king of Judah. But notice that Nehemiah did not defend himself. He just kept working. I am doing a great work. You could almost put that in there right after that response. He's saying, look, stop bugging me. I am doing a great work. You know, as we pursue our dreams, as we get close to completion... There's going to be critics, there's going to be accusations, there'll be rumors along the way. But one of the best ways to silence the critic is to have success, divine success. Because what happens is success will silence the critic. If you flip forward a little bit further into chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, we see that there is success. 
says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of uh, Eliola. Uh, that's not right. In 52 days, when all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their, confer- their confidence. Well, so what happened is because they were successful, it dried up the critic. They lost their self-confidence because they knew that God was on Nehemiah's side. And I would say this, if God is at the head of your dream, at the head of what your plan is, the day will come when even your harshest critic will shut up. And it's hard to argue with success, isn't it? And I've got a story I'll share a little later with you about just that thing. But the lesson for us is that we cannot afford to allow rumor or criticism to distract us to knock us off course. We need to keep working. And if we need to, we can vent to our Heavenly Father, to Jesus, can't we? 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. If he's called you to do something, if he's given you a dream, he will be your advocate. He will help you achieve those things. Now the third distraction is fear that we'll see here. And it's subtle. It's intimidation. If we look at verse 10, in, uh, back in Nehemiah, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, look what, uh, what they send at him this time. So after he sent back five times saying, look, we're doing a great work. We're not coming down. Then it says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Delilah, or Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And we don't know why he was shut in. Maybe he was hurt on the job, something like that. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors. And you say, well, why would that be? Because men, he's saying, are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. One of the translations, I think it was the Amplified Version, said, even this night they're coming to kill you. Now, what's interesting about this is that this guy, Shemaiah, is acting as if he heard from God, as if he was a a prophet, and he's using a scare tactic to distract Nehemiah. He was, if Nehemiah was to do what was suggested, it would have totally discredited Nehemiah's uh, authority. It would have discredited all the work that had been done. You say, well, why is that? Because only priests were allowed in the temple area. The only exception to that, and you see it in Numbers chapter 35, was if you accidentally killed somebody, and someone was trying to get revenge against you, that is the only way that you would have been able to go into the temple area, into the altar, and wait there until there was some justice. But that wasn't the case here. Shemaiah was trying to trick Nehemiah into losing his authority, discrediting all the work. And once again, Nehemiah refused to be distracted. Look at verses 11 through 13. It says, It says, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will 
not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he, was, that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. So they were trying to trick him from the inside again. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Nehemiah was not afraid. He was not going to let the fear of his own life, losing his own life, control his actions, to cause him to sin or to lose face in front of the people he was leading. He could have allowed fear of the unknown to stop the progress. He could have said, all right, let's stop what's going on. If my life's in danger, we better hold on. Let's, let's talk about this. But instead, he refused to be distracted. When God puts a dream in our heart, when he puts a dream in your heart, the significance of that dream is so important, it rules out the possibility for us to stop it, to quit. Our dreams, our vision are absolutely worth fighting for. Whether it's for our family or for our friends or for the relationships or our grades or, or for on the sports field, whatever the dream is, we cannot afford to stop pursuing those things. Each week we've asked you to personalize this, saying, how does this affect you? How can this word, how can Nehemiah's reaction to these distractions change or challenge us this week? I think as we look at this, we all need to say, look, we cannot allow good opportunities to rob us of our family's vision. How many of you guys still tuck in your kids at night? All right, I know that's something that we probably won't always do, Jessica, right? <laughs> Our kids are nine and five. They still like that. Let me just see a hand. At what age do you stop tucking in your kids? Candy, do you still tuck in your boys? You can't say that? <laughs> okay, so you're sleeping. Way... What, what age? I mean, is it 12, 13, 20? I don't know. At some point, we won't, but right now, we tuck in our kids, and sometimes, Jessica, we get frustrated, don't we? Because they, my kids, and I know all kids are this way, they love to stall, don't they? They will think of everything and anything to, to, to postpone uh, going to bed. And sometimes, the carnal nature inside of me, I won't talk for Jessica, but it happens with her too. Um, sometimes we get frustrated and we want to get on to what we're doing that night or get back to the TV show or whatever the case might be, and we can get frustrated. And I know you guys would never get frustrated putting your kids to bed. But, you know, what we're doing in those years, how many would agree we are doing a great work and we cannot come down? We need to understand that what we're doing in those moments is life-changing. As we pray, as we listen to the needs, as we read a story, as we tuck in the security, those things are important. Guys, when you're tempted to call your wife late from work saying, all right, honey, I'm going to be late again. I need to tie up a few more things. Whisper to yourself, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Grab your keys. Head for the car, go home, and be with your family because you know that's more important than anything at work.
when schedules start to pile up, you cannot allow yourself to be distracted by events or organizations or hobbies or activities and do nothing to further the vision that God has given to you. How many of you guys are single here? Just uh, young people and old, all right? Just several singles. Allowing God to shape your character, listen to this, while you wait for the right spouse, you are doing a great work. By waiting, having standards, saying, look, this is God's dream for my life. I'll be patient. You're doing a great work. Don't come down. Financially, if you say, man, my goal is to live debt-free, how many know the world can be distracting the latest, the greatest, more stuff, consumerism, the lake house, the boats, the cars, distract from ministry? Maybe God has put in your heart to reach the lost in your workplace or in your neighborhood. And what happens is that hobbies and entertainment will creep up and distract us from the focus of reaching out. And certainly spiritually, when we put goals in our lives saying, man, we want to grow in the Lord, we want to have a strong marriage, or we want to have a strong walk with God. Distractions, there's dozens of potential things that will knock us off course. Let me just say this, you cannot, I cannot, we cannot afford to allow opportunities to distract us. How many would say in your life that you can have the potential to be distracted by criticism? Is that a pretty universal thing? Critics can get to us. Um, Questions like, all you do is work, or why don't you go here, or why don't you stay? Uh, You are so religious, we've heard that before. Or boy, the standards you have, those are unrealistic. Or how about this? Sure, family's important, but it's just one night. Come on, let's go do it, whatever the case might be. Or maybe you've heard from critics saying, man, as you were pursuing your dream, man, you're not fun anymore. How many of you have ever heard that? Or maybe you've even heard the critics saying, you know, I, I knew someone that tried that once. That's not encouraging. Whether your dream is to cut back in hours, that's going to draw critics. A lot of times, stay-at-home moms get criticized, saying, man, you know, what you're doing is it's so old-fashioned. And, uh, and, and so that can be the case. Single guys oftentimes will be called gay or be questioned whether they're, uh, what their, their intentions are because they're waiting. And spiritually, as you start to read God's word, you say, God, I'm going to follow your standard. People around you are not going to understand why you stop telling the jokes or listening to the jokes or why you don't go to this place or why you, uh, you don't look at the things you once did. Don't forget, success will silence critics. I want to tell you a quick story, and I know our time is getting away from us, but I think it's important. Growing up in my family, we, were, uh, we did not have a lot. And, uh, and you know, our, our family life, my parents, two years after they were married, 
so a, a couple from their church took them out to eat and said, we, we've got a gift for you. My parents were all excited. I may, you, some of you may have heard this story. But they said, man, you know, what could this gift be? They're thinking maybe a new car or you know, maybe a vacation, who knows. Well, anyway, this couple takes them out to eat. And in the process of the time, they said, look, we've got a gift that we want to impart into you. This is so important that we're picking up the meal tonight. We wanted to, to do this. And they gave them a principle financially to live within their means. And what my dad will say is that they are, he was encouraged that night to never buy anything that depreciates in value on time. Never buy anything that depreciates in value on time. So don't pay for a vacation you know, over the next six months after the vacation's gone. Don't buy furniture on time. Don't buy a car. You know, you know, pay cash um, to um, you know, everything, credit cards, whatever. Okay? And that was the principle that was in place. And my, and my parents, they said, okay. You know, they saw this, this successful couple, and they, they bought it. They were hooked, so to speak, and they started. It took them about two years to get out of debt. And then from that moment forward, now they've been married almost 40 years, from that moment forward, they did not buy anything that depreciated in value on time. So they didn't pay interest for credit cards or uh, for um, cars or you know, across the board. But what that meant for a family that only had one income, my dad drove a forklift for Ford Motor Company. He unloaded and loaded up trucks. That, means, that meant when we were young, we didn't have a whole lot. And I remember getting laughed at, teased at, handing down clothes, you name it. We did, we did not have a lot, but my parents were consistent. We got criticized. My parents got criticized, especially as I talk with my dad more about these types of things now than we did way back then. But my dad would say that friends could not understand why they chose to live the way they did. My dad's car, there were so many times he had to hitchhike home from work because the car broke down. But he's saying, look, We've, we've decided to live this way. And, I, and they're saying, hey, it's, that's, I mean, I think so too. I think it's God's way to live. But over and over, they were criticized. But we said that success will silence the critic, won't it? As time went on, those principles took hold. And there was benefit along the way for my parents. And I just feel led this morning that some of you are, are desiring to live in that way. And in the world, everything will resist that, to live debt-free. The latest and the greatest, but even just your own needs, saying, man, I need this, or, or I, I need uh, you know, my kids to take care of the kids, or whatever. But my parents, as they live that way, they are now and some of you know this, are living in the benefit of live, living debt-free for all those years. They're now self-supported missionaries, travel all over the world, have a paid-for house in, in Fort Lauderdale, beautiful place in a gated community, and God has blessed them. And you know what's interesting? Jessica and me and my sisters, we are blessed because of my parents' faithfulness. And what's interesting, Jessica and I, we kind of bought in the same, same idea, and we are living in that blessing. And it happened even quicker for us than it did for my parents. 
God's word, it works. But uh, success certainly will silence the critic. And I need to move along here. Fear is the other one. The what-ifs can be listed. The uh, fear will cause us to lose focus. The fear of the unknown. And I'll just say, fighting for your dream is worth it. Don't allow fear to cause you to miss out on what God has for you. With all three distractions, we must say, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Let's say that together one more time. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. We can see our visions, our dreams, the plans God has put into our hearts. We can see those things to become reality. Do you believe that? But we've got to stay focused. We've got to fight for it. John MacArthur, I was reading uh, a a section on Nehemiah that he had wrote, uh, some commentary. He said this, The greatest joys come in the greatest victories. And the greatest victories come from the greatest battles. And when they are fought in the power and with the armor of the Lord. Things don't just happen when you're following God's way. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it is worth it. Those victories, those battles are worth fighting. Nehemiah was an incredible leader, and we can be great as well. God wants us to be great. He's calling us to be great, to be, to be a part of something bigger than us individually. This week, this last week, we met as a new board for the first time. There's five board members, and then me, there's six of us, and we're saying together, look, what God has for us as a church is bigger than any one of us can accomplish. But together, working with one mind, focused, I believe we can do incredible things with God's help. We can see God's kingdom come, God's will be done on the lakeshore here in West Michigan. God has a plan for each of us to be a part of that, I believe. And God is calling us to, be, to remember the dream, to stay focused on the dream, and to be committed, and not to let distractions get us off track. Do you believe that? This morning, before we close, and Dale, you can come. Um, this morning, I want to to take an opportunity to talk to God about the dreams that he's put in our hearts. I think it's important for us to to take a moment before we hit the grind again to maybe refocus, to reevaluate, to get back on track. Maybe you're on track and you're saying, man, I'm doing the work. And maybe you just need to talk to God and he needs to just come alongside and say, hey, it's all right, I'm with you. There might be opposition, there might be all these things, but I'm, I have not left you. I've not, I've not forsaken you. But before we do that, my heart is for those of you that maybe have not made a decision for the Lord. And maybe you found yourself here today and you're saying, Pastor, man, I don't even know Jesus as my personal Savior. Or maybe it's been a long time since I've served Him and I want to restore that relationship. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, we'll just take a minute here. If you are here today and you're saying, Pastor, I want to know for sure 
that my life is right with Jesus. I want you just to slip up your hand right where you are. If you know you're away from the Lord, if you know that, that there's a feeling right now that God is pricking your heart, pulling you to Him, I want you just to respond. I'm not going to have you come forward, but I do want to pray for you. Yeah, good. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me? Say, man, I'm away from the Lord. I want to restore that relationship. Okay, two more, good. One last chance. If that's you, just slip up your hand so I can see and you can put it right back down. Okay, good. Church this morning, four individuals have, have, that are on four different journeys in life have raised their hands saying, that's me. Let's take a moment and encourage them. And for those that, that you raised your hand and even others that maybe didn't, and I'm going to ask everyone to participate, I want you to pray a simple prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that saves us, but it's our heart believing the things that we're saying that saves us. Repeat this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, please come into my life. Clean up my heart. Put my feet on a rock so that I can stand for you. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Help me focus on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I was working on my message, I just felt really all week, almost all week, just a sense that we needed to take some time. Maybe right where you are, or maybe you can move, it doesn't matter, but to take some time to talk to God about the dreams that he has for you, the vision, to get you maybe back on course or just to get a little encouragement from the Father so you know you're on the right path. How many would just say, just by the raising of hand, that, that God has, has, that you realize that God has a plan for your life? How many would just say that that's you? you sure. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't believe that, you've got to get into God's Word because as you read it, it talks about God having a specific plan for each of us. But in that, there is distractions. How many would agree that it's easy to get off course? It's easy to be distracted. Three distractions at Nehemiah were the opportunities, the fear, and then the critics. And maybe you're facing some of those things in your life right now. And as you spend a few minutes before we take off this morning with the Father, talking to Jesus about those dreams, my heart is, is that you'd be strengthened, that you'd rise back up stronger to face the world ahead. I said earlier in the message that vision, that the daily grind of life can affect vision or can affect your dream. And I know that's certainly the case for me. And if that's you today, you're saying, man, that's me, I would just want to encourage you to spend a moment. And uh, Dale, why don't you just lead us, whatever God is leading you there. And let's take a moment. You may want to slip out. In fact, if you come forward, we'll lay hands and we'll pray. We'll ask God to, to work. We'll agree with you. But I would ask everyone, just before you take off, even if you just stay where you are, just take a moment and talk to God about your dream. 
Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray.